From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Hey, it's Mr. Rob Roop. Thank you very much, Mike, here with you. This is Mike Davidson Lives. Thanks for hanging out with me here for the next oh, half hour or so. This is talk about a little of this, a little of that post-Father's Day weekend. And uh, not a bad one. Not a bad one for me at all. Uh, I was able to fire up the grill this weekend. I did a little bit of it Saturday. Couldn't do it today because I got back from the pool late. My wife got home from work and her back was sore. Had to watch the kids for her. Um, I mean, they're my kids too, obviously. I mean, Father's Day. Uh, But, you know, keeping them out of trouble is, oh man, (laughs) that's a chore. But I tell you what, being a father is pretty damn cool. And I got to spend it with all three of my kids. Um, Took Lon and Hazy to the pool. They loved it. Logan and I, uh, we, we just kind of played around outside a little bit uh, this evening. He was, eat, uh, my wife stayed home with him while I took the, uh, my daughters to the pool because he's two, and uh, it might be a little too much for him at this point. But uh, not bad, not bad at all. Got some Father's Day gifts, got some ice cream, got some beer. Uh, wearing a pretty decent uh, Led Zeppelin T-shirt, love it all, and uh, love my family. That. You know, some I, I remember having a conversation of sorts with somebody a while back, and how they get disappointed on Father's Day when they don't get a gift, like the you know, oh, I'm going to get a macaroni card, and it's like, oh, that's terrible. I really don't ask for the star, the sun, and the moon for my kids because mostly they don't have jobs, and um, you know, I'm old enough to go out and afford what I want to, you know, buy. Within reason, but uh, still, pretty decent Father's Day weekend. That is, unless, of course, you know, you're a movie studio exec, then it sucked ass. Uh, not very good. Uh, kind of a lackluster summer. I mean, the the uh, the two movies that come to mind that are doing pretty well are Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and uh, Guardians 3. Uh, both those, you know, Even though Guardians had kind of a sluggish start, word of mouth on that movie was positive, but everything else is kind of fading into the distant memory and the two top movies at the box office this weekend well number two was elemental pixar came in at 30 million dollars and it looks to be losing some money just like um onward and the good dinosaur did remember the good dinosaur yeah i really don't remember it either i think that came out like thanksgiving weekend one year and nobody went and saw it everybody was watching something else but uh, number one at the box office, and it's not so much an honor, The Flash. Now, this was a movie uh, experts were tracking to make about $140, $150 million two months out, two months ago. And then they kind of walked it down. That's ah, probably going to be a little north of $100 million. And then it got to be $80 million. And then when it got to the doorstep... Of, uh, of this week and it was 70 million so not looking too good for a movie that's uh, rumored to cost anywhere from 250 to 300 million dollars and uh saturday night they were projecting this thing to only make 60 million dollars this weekend and when i saw that number i'm like it's not going to touch 60 million because people are going to hear that people are going to see that and uh fewer people are going to go to the theaters and alas number one at the box office the Flash, starring Ezra Miller, everyone's favorite actor, only fifty-five million dollars, and the drop-off next weekend is probably going to be terrible. That's what saved Guardians Three, though. The word of mouth was positive on this thing, and more people went to the theaters, 
saw it and it was able to make more of its money back. Of course, Guardians is a Marvel movie and uh, Marvel owned by Disney and Disney's got a whole bunch of tire fires going on right now, just like Elemental. Um, but The Flash just it had everything working against it and a lot of it was Ezra Miller. And I knew from the word go, even when the, all this uh, hype months out, talking about how this was the greatest superhero movie ever, from people I didn't even know watched superhero movies, like Stephen King, uh, Tom Cruise. I mean, I know he was linked at uh, the hip with Iron Man back in the 90s. That never happened, obviously. Uh, you know, saying, hey, it's it's pretty decent. It's, it's fun. Yeah, whatever. Um, I, I knew with all the hype, it was it was just generated. It was studio generated, and there was somebody even in uh, Warner Brothers. I was reading this a couple weeks back, thinking that a lot of the hype that they were generating was not going to be bought by the public. And lo and behold, it was not. And the thing that was working against it again was Ezra Miller. You had a guy on camera choking a fan. You had a guy who got into a fight at a karaoke bar in Honolulu. You had a guy on camera. Resisting arrest and saying that the cop's penis touched him, or uh, he was touching his penis. I don't know. There was some penis touching going on, according to Ezra Miller. Um, this was also a guy who got in trouble for burglary. This is also a guy that got in trouble uh, for grooming a young woman and uh, had uh, drugs and a gun out available around kids. So goes an article. You had all this stuff working against him, and then he disappears for a year. He appears on the red carpet this past week. No questions taken. He looks bizarre, as usual, and that was supposed to save the film. Don't talk to the press. Just wave to the press, and uh, all this will go away. People remember this crap, and they also know that uh, you were horribly miscast for this role even without the legal garbage because if you go and look at any comic book from way back when with Barry Allen or even now as the Flash they don't look anything alike this is probably the worst casting of a of a DCEU character uh, this side of Jesse Eisenberg being Lex Luthor and keep in mind I, I, Jesse Eisenberg hasn't done anything wrong illegally but let me take you back a little bit here to, to um, show off a lot of the f faults of the DCEU. Back in 2008, The Dark Knight came out, the greatest superhero movie of all time, came out the same year as Iron Man did. And Iron Man was great, but The Dark Knight, the better movie. However, at the end of Iron Man, you have the cameo from Nick Fury. And then uh, about a month or two later, The Incredible Hulk comes out, and Robert Downey Jr. reprises his role as Tony Stark, talking to Thunderbolt Ross, and they're building this universe. They couldn't do it with the Christopher Nolan movies, uh, Warner Brothers and DC, because Nolan wanted to finish up his trilogy. So they had to wait until after 2012 to get the ball rolling on a DCEU movie, which would be Man of Steel. Uh, 2012 was when The Dark Knight Rises came out, and that was also the same year Avengers came out. And that was the team-up movie. That was basically bridging the MCU together and in the Marvel Cinematic Universe had a pretty decent run up until recently but they were in such a hurry to get uh, the DC Universe off the ground uh, Man of Steel had to have all these little uh, you know Easter eggs like okay those are Amazons oh that's a uh, Wayne Tech satellite 
And then he had to fight Batman in the second movie, and they had to meet Wonder Woman, and they had to be introduced to the Justice League. And then the Justice League uh, lost lost Zack Snyder due to a tragedy, so Joss Whedon fills in. So basically, this movie had two directors and no scope. And it was just the, the whole movie, the whole uh, cinematic universe for DC was always a mess. Always a mess. I know some hardcore uh, Zack Snyder film uh, fans blame James Gunn for jumping on board and pretty much killing the DCEU with what he wants to do. But if these movies were doing well to begin with, there would be no James Gunn jumping aboard at Warner Brothers. And I have no idea how that's going to go. But right now, it looks like, uh, as uh, one person on Twitter eloquently put it, the, uh, the superhero movie genre is having a hangover. It is the hangover. Uh, because uh, Ant-Man and Quantumania, which was this big intro for for Kang, it didn't do well at the box office. I mean, there's been some exceptions to the rule. I don't know if it's totally uh, dead as a genre, because Guardians 3 and Into the Spider-Verse seem to do pretty well box office-wise. Um, but the the share the big extended universes, the shared universes, all these cameos, all this multiverse stuff is wearing a bit thin. And, you know, I talked about all the stuff that Ezra Miller went through and how there was no consequences. This is the con the best consequence we could come up with the guy. This isn't cancel culture because, God, you know, uh, you had a, a baseball announcer a few weeks ago, Glenn uh, Kuyper, lose his job for accidentally saying the N-bomb and everybody thought he was worse than Hitler. Uh, you had Johnny Depp lose uh, his Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, be estranged from Disney because of all these w things that Amber Heard alleged, and it proved to be not true. His career was ruined by that. That was cancel culture. Jonathan Majors is to be determined. Uh, he's still on the payroll at Disney, uh, but he's lost some roles for other things. He lost uh, his U.S. Army ad campaign because of the allegation against him whether or not this is true or not i don't know but it's been a little more low-key than all these other things that have happened to ezra miller ezra miller is a walking running train wreck and he pretty much smeared uh the name of a beloved comic book character again horribly miscast and now fans moviegoers have voted with their dollars and whether or not Hollywood's going to listen to this or not, I don't know. But I think it's pretty clear. Bad behavior does not make a box office hit. Uh, by the way, speaking of Hollywood, uh, there's been a little pushback behind the scenes. I think I talked about this. Well, I referred to this a few weeks ago. And uh, Nerdrotic, uh, I think his name's Gary, he... He talked more about these new rules that uh, the Oscar committee wants to do to promote diversity uh, for nominations. And uh, Richard Dreyfus struck out against it. And Richard Dreyfus was right because it's art. Art is subjective. You hire and cast the best people possible. But uh, some of the things that they are uh, considering if they have not implemented already to gain consideration for the prestigious award, the Oscar... Uh, the movie must feature a lead or significant supporting character from a, quote, underrepresented racial or ethnic group, have a main storyline that focuses on an unrepresented group, 
or at least 30% of the cast come from two or more underrepresented groups. And these un underrepresented groups include women, ethnic minorities, uh, someone from the gay community, or the disabled. And as one director, um, Anonymous, uh, told the New York Post, quote, it's completely ridiculous, I'm for diversity, but to make your cast certain types of people if you want to get nominated, that makes the whole process contrived. The person who is right for the part should get the part. Why should you be limited in your choices? End quote. And this director is exactly right. You want to hire the best actor or actress for the role. And if you're gunning for prestigious awards, you want to have the best people available. But now, this has become more so. And, and Hollywood's been woke for at least two decades in terms of award show presentation. This is just going to be more obnoxious. But now you're going to be disc, um, discounting the quality of the film because you're more concerned about hitting certain percentages in check marks. You know, let me put it to you this way. If you cast Morgan Freeman in a movie, you're casting him because he is a great actor with a tremendous resume. You're not doing it, ideally, because he represents X, Y, and Z. But this is what the feel-good managers of Hollywood want to do. They want to show that they care a lot and uh, to hell with art you know I mean you can still make whatever movie you want but if studios are chasing award awards you're going to be pretty much limited as a filmmaker is what you can do but then again these award shows are losing uh, viewers left and right so uh, yeah like I said with the blockbuster thing and with the award show thing it, you would think you would think they would learn their lessons and just let the art speak for itself but no all right, I'm going to get into the uh, broadcast podcast type of thing to show off professionalism and not-so-professionalism. Uh, you know, in broadcasting, I, I know I came from the rock radio sort of thing, but, uh, you know, in my later years, I tried to be as professional as I could to prepare for a show, to prepare for live appearances, to, to be the best that I could. I didn't want to half-ass it. And sometimes that meant playing sick or hurt or whatever. I don't think I could ever be as hurt as uh, John Sterling, announcer for the New York Yankees. Uh, he's in his 80s. He's still doing this stuff. And uh, I guess in a recent game this past weekend, he was calling a game and uh, foul ball catches him in the dome. It hits him right. And, and baseballs are pretty damn hard. But, you know, this probably had to be on the way down <laughs> to slow this thing, you know, a little friction. Hits him in the dome. He says, ow, 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 ow. That, you know, and basically acknowledges, yeah, I got hurt. But he continues to call the game. <laughs> Hats off to you, sir. I mean, um, didn't even drop an F-bomb. That is impressive. I don't think I could do the same thing. Uh, back in the day when I was doing radio in Kokomo, and this was off-air, mind you. Uh, I was setting up for a broadcast, and I had one of those big pop-up tents, uh, and I was trying to get it set up. And the, the framing for these pop-up tents has to be it has to be at least like 50 pounds metal. And I clicked the wrong lever with one foot, and uh, the legging came crashing down on my right foot, and it hurt like hell. And again, this this is in public. This isn't on the air, but I'm leaning over, biting my lip trying so very hard not to scream the world's largest f-bomb 
And here's this guy uh, being listened to by uh, perhaps millions of listeners because it is the Yankees. And he just keeps his composure and rolls on. That's professionalism. Uh, you know who's not professional? Uh, Harry and Meghan. You ever get the uh, the feeling that all they do is talk about themselves? Yeah, it's crazy, right? Live in L.A., throw their families under the bus uh, because they're better than them, and uh, Oprah talked to them, damn it. Um, they are no longer doing their podcast at Spotify. Um, a few years back, Spotify did this thing where they spent a lot of money on a lot of podcasts, kind of like what the Clear Channels and... Uh, and uh, the cumuluses back in the day did with radio stations. They bought all these podcasts. You know, those companies bought a bunch of radio stations thinking they're going to get their money back, and they didn't, and they got into debt. Well, Spotify's tightening its belt because uh, they spent a lot of money on podcasts that didn't pay off, and they terminated their contract with Harry and Meghan because it didn't pay off. I guess he, they paid them $25 million to do a podcast. And the podcast, in an entire year, 12 episodes. That's it. Twelve. They're basically paying $2.5 million per episode for Harry and Meghan's stupid podcast. And now they're shopping it around because who knows who's going to pay a lot of money uh, for that half-ass uh, effort. I mean, you know, compared to Joe Rogan. Yeah, he gets paid a lot of money by Spotify. But I think he does like four or five episodes of his podcast a week. I know Adam Carolla for his thing does five episodes. That you know they're they basically did two and a half months or one two and a half weeks worth of work over the course of a year, if it's if it's work, and they got paid money. Uh, Bill Simmons, who I can't stand, but he's the sports guy over at Spotify, and he says that these guys are effing grifters, and he's not wrong. A broken clock is twice uh, right twice a, t a day. He's right about these guys, this guy and gal. They are grifters, and they couldn't provide content. Now, these same people that cried in front of Oprah, these same people that had the Netflix do documentary, this the same people that you know put out books, bitching about how unfair their lives are. They got paid twenty-five million dollars to do twelve effing episodes. Yeah, what a burden that is. But like I said, uh, Harry, Megan, they're not Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan does generate content. And there's, oh, holy crap, would you believe this? Controversy with the latest go-round of uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, he had uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on his show. RFK uh, wanting to make a, uh, a run at the uh, Democrat nom for President of the United States. Thing is... Is the current guy in the White House, Sleepy Joe? Uh, you know, he's he's the Dems head guy, so he's probably going to run again. I don't. I mean, Marianne Williams also wants to be the nominee. That's not going to happen. Uh, but I, I do dig her positive hippie energy, even if it's a load. Uh, but RFK is wanting a challenge, and okay, that's cool. I mean, you know, you got uh, Don and Ron duking it out for the R knob, and, and let's let's be honest, it's really between those two. Anybody else that's trying to run is just trying to get a book deal or um, a nice slot on a cable network. But going back to RFK, he's on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast. I think this was Thursday, and he was talking about, uh, you know, how he was anti-vax and against the vaccines for COVID. 
it's kind of weird that we're still talking about it here 2023 because to me the, the whole thing is over everything's over um, but uh, Peter Hortez, I think I'm pronouncing his name. He's a, a professor of, you know, he's a, he's a med guy. He's a doctor. Uh, he teaches at Baylor, and he's calling them out in real time, saying that it's misinformation, misinformation. And so Joe Rogan says, hey, I tell you what, I'm going to put up $100,000 if you and RFK Jr. debate on my podcast about the vaccine and about COVID, and the guy is not taking bait. However... Uh, Peter Hortez goes on to MSNBC uncontested uh, and gets to spout you know, his two cents off about how silly this is and of course they're labeling Joe Rogan's podcast misinformation. I have a problem with that. Not necessarily because I agree with Joe Rogan or RFK Jr. on uh, the vaccine but this cable news network he's using this cable news network to label a podcast misinformation this very podcast that's offering up the chance to prove the, him wrong now a lot of joe's listeners will probably have their own opinions already made up about it uh and a lot of these guys anybody that's supporting hortez already have their minds made up but i mean that would be getting two sides of an issue out there that itself is not misinformation and given the fact that a lot of cable news networks ha have never been called to the carpet about misinformation outside of the uh, this whole Dominion thing with Fox News. I mean, how many times have uh, cable news outlets just run with a story, and when it's wrong, they just kind of quietly walk away from it? You know, here you have an opportunity to listen to a podcast, a very accessible podcast, and get two sides of the issue from two guys, uh, each liberal in their own way each progressive in their own way remember this is a uh, college professor versus a potential democrat nominee um talking about the vaccine talking about it it's that's not anti-science uh hortez could very well crush rfk in the debate he very well could or maybe rfk uh pulls one on mr hortez here the point is is it is a it's an issue and it's being debated uh and if the science is settled uh it certainly does not seem like it because it seems like hortez is more content running toward a cable newser uh and and cable reporters news reporters have you know zero zero experience zero knowledge on medical stuff at all just about as much as I do. So why not let them debate? That's content. It's interesting. And uh, that's why Joe Rogan gets paid all the big money he does over there at Spotify. I mean, he, he produces ears. And that's what you want. You want somebody to produce ears. And it's very interesting stuff there. Okay. A um, couple of stories um, the, that kind of uh, lend themselves to the continual fall of Western civilization. I feel like... Not every day. I mean, out here in the Midwest, things are pretty decent. Uh, you know, I mean, I live outside of Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne has its issues, but I it it's a far cry from some of these uh, bigger cities like San Francisco and Seattle. Thursday, Seattle, I think a federal judge threw out part of its graffiti law where they can arrest somebody and charge somebody 
for defacing private property property that you would own like your car or a house and the reasoning is this violates the first amendment now if this is in the public square if you're on the internet talking about things exchanging ideas that is the first amendment if you're debating somebody like on a podcast hosted by joe rogan that is the first amendment you know there are plenty of ways to express yourself with the first amendment your first amendment ends where the property that i own begins or somebody else's property and i'm not saying you can't say what you want around me i'm talking about destroying the facing something that somebody else has earned worked hard for and earned like a business like a home like a car this is a very uh, affront to freedom to say this and you know some law professor they were talking to i think this is over um k-i-r-o and out of seattle they were talking about how this won't lead to everything being tagged downtown seattle oh really this was the same one with a demilitarized zone that uh, no man's land during the uh, BLM protests a few years ago. Uh, how can you be so sure? And the other thing, too, is there are cities similar in Washington State, like Tacoma and other towns, that have similar laws on the docket, and that could be struck down. And so police departments in those towns handcuffed, so to speak, when it comes to protecting private property. Why would you live in Seattle after something like this? It's just, this is bad. This is really bad. You know, we talked a little bit about this with San Francisco and some of, their, uh, some of the things they're dealing with. And um, another story I'm getting out of San Fran. Uh, the Walgreens, I think, in downtown Wall, uh, San Fran, they're now having to put their candy behind glass or plastic shielding. Like, you have to ask somebody to unlock the shelf to get like a Hershey bar or a Reese cup. I mean, last time I checked, M&Ms were not used to make meth. But uh, Walgreens is reporting, like, I guess a clerk there said that they saw four thefts in the span of 15 minutes. Loss prevention is out of control in these cities. And I'm surprised that there are even stores in downtown San Francisco. If that wasn't enough, Get this, uh, sriracha, which I think is a little overrated. I mean, some people like it because it's spicy. It really doesn't taste spicy to me. Uh, it is, um, uh, I didn't know that there was a shortage of sriracha, but I guess there's a chili pepper shortage. And some parts of the country, it's being hit hard, especially in San Francisco, a bottle of sriracha, something you could buy at a gas station. And I, I know gas stations are cheap. Um, 30 bucks a bottle. 30 bucks a bottle because in restaurants, they're getting ganked off the tables. And it's not just the homeless. People are actually stealing bottles of sriracha because they can't afford it. Man, it makes you wonder how that city was during the uh, the egg price hike a few months back. Like I said, you can't really beat the Midwest. Uh, Piqua, Ohio, just outside of Dayton. And then I'm probably mispronouncing that uh town name wrong that's okay i mispronounce a lot of things uh there's nothing more american than this a woman has a halloween decoration still out on her lawn it is a nine and a half foot tall werewolf she got it out for halloween 
She loves it so damn much she has left it out there and she decorates it gourd accordingly for like things like Christmas. Uh, in fact, I think uh, right now because we got the 4th of July weekend coming up here in a couple of weeks, uh, she's got some patriotic garb on the werewolf. Someone has actually complained. I think somebody from their HOA is complaining that it's an eyesore. Most neighbors don't care because it's not an El Camino up on cinder blocks and her lawn is well maintained. Okay, it's not like it's attracting rats or badgers or whatever. Uh, but somebody's complaining about this nine and a half foot tall werewolf being out there. I just linked up on the Mike Davidson Facebook page, and it looks rather patriotic. Um, but it looks like one of those deals that you can get at Lowe's or um, or uh, <laughs> Home Depot, like the ten foot skeleton. And I was trying to do a quick price check on this thing, and uh, it's being sold uh, some online auctioners like uh, eBay anywhere from seven hundred fifty to eleven hundred dollars. I don't know if that's exactly how much she paid for this nine and a half foot tall uh, werewolf, but she probably paid through the nose to get it. And you're trying to get as much value out of this damn thing as possible. So yeah, why not leave it up all year? I mean, you know, Fourth of July, you got the patriotic stuff on. Uh, you know, Halloween, just be a werewolf. Christmas, uh, you know, Easter, put some e you know ears on this thing, dress it up in green for St. Patrick's Day. It is uh, the decor that keeps on being festive. Why not? I have no problem with it. Like I said, you, you can live next door to a whole hell of a lot worse things. And finally, uh, you know, Las Vegas Golden Knights, uh, they have won the Stanley Cup. Very festive in that town. Uh, I, I bet you didn't know this, but there's hookers in Las Vegas. I'm sorry, sex workers, uh, bunny ranches and whatnot. There is one ranch out there in Vegas that is offering uh, their services up quite a bit to those hockey players. Uh, if you are a member of the world champion Las Vegas Golden Knights, you get a free orgy on them so to speak free orgy for winning a championship doesn't look like the uh the raiders are going to get laid anytime soon with that all said and done i'm done until next time stay fresh Tuesday. you've been listening to mike davidson live be sure to check him out on social media like him at facebook.com backslash m davidson lives follow him on twitter look for at davidson lives